You're listening to sermon audio from Gospelite Baptist Church. For more resources or to donate to this ministry, please visit gospelite.org. So take your Bibles and open to the Gospel of Luke, sermon number two in our summer sermon series entitled God's Prescription for Resolving Regret. We're going to pick up where we left off. Let me begin with this question. 1045, you always come through with a little more energy. So I'm looking for a good answer here. The good news is all you've got to say is true or false. All right? Are you ready for the question? And then just answer it. It's not a trick question. You know me. If you've been here, I've been here 29 years. I've never asked a trick question in the pulpit. These are like really simple questions. I will always do that. You say, why do you always say that? Because when I was a kid, somebody asked a question in church. I answered it, and I got my face ripped off for five minutes because I gave the wrong answer. It was the most embarrassing moment of my life. I have been scarred forever because of it. And I only ask simple questions in church. Okay. All right. Everyone, true or false, everyone has problems. Great. You got it. Excellent. Everyone has problems. Thank you for participating. True. And what you have to see and what we're asking God to help us to see through this sermon series, what the most significant thing about you is not the problems that you have. Because everybody has problems. I mean, for instance, sometimes I think we look at other people's problems and we think, well, my problems are bigger than their problems. I don't, that's not fair. Or they don't seem to have any problems and look at all my problems, you know. And we begin to analyze other people's problems versus our problems. We're comparing ourselves to others. We need to get off the focus of what happens to me and onto the focus of how I deal with it. And that truly is where we're going every Sunday. How do I deal with the problems that I have? When a problem of some kind happens, a fault, a failure, a disappointment, or a hurt, church, you have a choice. You can either reflect upon what has happened and form some good conclusions about it, like the song we just sang, right? You make all things work together. I started too high, Jordan, sorry. You make all things work together for my future and for my good. You make all things work together for your glory and for your name. And here we are praising God for our problems. We're like, God, there's a purpose in all of this. It's so amazing to be, to be in tune with Jesus, to know his grace, and to experience how he truly has a prescription to resolve regret. I have a choice. I can either reflect upon what's happened and form some good conclusions, or, and here's what we're going to talk about this morning, or I can rationalize. I can rationalize. Now, Conscious is, is a gift from God. It really is. You don't want to turn your conscious off. It's something that you want to stay on. Conscience is the soul reflecting upon itself. A moment ago, we sang a song. I believe it was the first song that we sang. And at the end of the song, there was a... I noticed, I didn't mention this in the first service. I missed it. The second service, I saw it. God had connected the sermon to it, as God seems to do every Sunday here at Gospel Light with the music and the sermon supernaturally, is we talked about we're going to gaze upon his face. 
Now, what I noticed about the way they arranged that, and I don't think we've always sung it this way. Jordan will tell me after the sermon, I'm sure, but I don't think we have. After we sang that, that, that verse about we're going to gaze upon his face, there was a, about a 30-second where the band just played. And there was no words on the screen. It was almost as if we had a chance to close our eyes and gaze. Reflect. Think about Jesus. How beautiful he is. How much he loves us. We didn't start singing again for a few moments so we could practice what we just sang. I'm speaking about gazing this morning inwardly. I'm talking about evaluating what is happening in our lives using the reflecting muscle that God has given us. Because what often happens is we get a problem and we don't go through the correct sequence to get to the resolution to the problem. We just rationalize why we have this problem, why we don't deserve this problem. We blame shift. We do everything but here is God's prescription for resolving regret. And ushers, you can go ahead and start passing out the prescription because the great physician is is just like any other doctor. He prescribes things. When you come to him with your problem, he says, let me write out a prescription for you. And you know when you get it filled? Don't go to Walgreens to get this one filled. Don't go to Walmart to get this one filled. Fill this one on your knees. Fill this prescription on your knees. And here it is. Instead of rationalizing when I experience regret, I will reflect on it. I will take responsibility for it. I will repent of it, and I will make restitution with it. Most people never run that sequence. And yet that's where we're going with the message this morning. We tend to rationalize. That's what we tend to do. That is what human nature tends to do. That is what confidence in the flesh tends to do. Rationalize, and yet that leads to the cause of human misery. Problems cannot be avoided. So we must reflect, take responsibility, repent, and make restitution. This, my friends, is what God's children are called to do. So let's look back to where we started. And let's take a specific look at Peter. And and let's talk a little bit about rationalization, all right? Rationalization, church, is as old as the Garden of Eden. It's as recent as the nightly news and probably even more recent. It was probably experienced on the ride that you had to church this morning. Think about it. Who did Eve blame? Or rather, Adam. Adam blamed Eve. Eve blamed the serpent. Both of them blamed God. (laughs) In fact, we see all throughout Scripture this blame shifting because usually when something happens, our first reaction is usually to excuse ourselves and to look for someone else to lay the blame on instead of the person in the mirror. Now, I'm not saying that every wrong that's ever happened to you is, is your fault. Please don't interpret this at all. You know my heart in this. I'm just saying that for you to overcome regret, there is a no win for you in the blaming of others. No win. Find what you can find, own what you can own, fix what you can fix, face what you can face. I'm a sinner, but I have a Savior. Amen? (laughs) Hallelujah. Listen, I don't need to be good because I can be forgiven. 
I don't need to be perfect. I can be forgiven. I don't need to blame shift. I can be forgiven. I don't need to make excuses. I can be forgiven. I don't need to be broken because I can be healed because of my Savior. His name is Jesus. And that's who we're talking about this morning. That's who we're singing about this morning. I can go forward because of Jesus and his forgiveness. Leave other people to God and focus on yourself. And yet today, it seems as if we just don't want to own it. Carl Manager, a secular Jewish psychologist in the 70s, said this, and I quote, and I'd like for you to listen. I don't have it on the screen or in your notes. This is one of those just... Just reflect with me on these words. I quote, In all of the laments and reproaches made today, one misses any mention of sin. It was a word once on everyone's mind. Now, rarely if ever heard. Does that mean that no sin is ever involved in our trouble? Is no one any longer guilty of anything? Guilty of any sin that can be repented of? Where did sin go? And what became of it? a fascinating quote. You see, in a world that focuses on rationalizing as the answer to everything, it is becoming increasingly difficult to get people to go forward from their problems. So let's work on that in the service. For the next few moments, let's work on going forward from our problems and not rationalizing them. If we were to take time to just get a biblical overview, we could go way more than just the Garden of Eden. We could talk about Abraham, who God promised to Abraham and to Sarah to give them a child, but God took way too long. I mean, he just took too long. So Sarah rationalized. And she said, you know, maybe I could give my servant to my husband to have a kid, you know. And all the problems we have in the Middle East have come from rationalizing. Moses seemed to just always turn to blame the people, the people, the people. It seems as if much of the Bible is a story of people that had a problem and they're blaming and rationalizing instead of reflecting and taking responsibility and repenting and making restitution. And if we as a church family and as your shepherd or as one of the shepherds here, I have such a heart for my church family. I I know there's a whole, not a whole lot I can do about a lot of things, but I know that every Sunday I can help my church family. And if we as a church family could get to the place where if we have some regret that we could deal with it the way God tells us to to reflect, take responsibility, repent, and make restitution. So much of our trouble comes from the spinning of our wheels in the mud of trying to put the blame somewhere else than where it really belongs to the person that I look at in the mirror every morning, Erica Payson. So let me give you five truths about rationalization. Let me ask you just to listen. By the way, if you've not come very long to Gospel Light, one thing is, even though there are oftentimes uh, convicting uh, parts of a sermon, and sometimes though that conviction can last a while. Can I tell you what we've always decided here at Gospel Light? We're going to always end with good news. Amen? So for the whole sermon, if, you're, if you feel a little prick or a little, hopefully no elbows, amen, Let's, we're not blaming anybody, okay? Keep the elbows to yourself today. But trust me, 
I've got some really good news to share with you in a moment. First of all, number one, and mark it down in your notes, rationalizations persist to silence regret. Look, if you would, please, at Luke chapter 22, speaking of Jesus and the soldiers as they came to the Garden of Gethsemane, remember? Now, Peter has not yet denied Christ. All that's been predicted. But here uh, it says in verse 54, then they seized him and they led him away. I love the next part because I've, I've actually been there. They brought him to the high priest house. Going over to Israel, one of the things that you'll want to do and will want to do the next time we get to go prayerfully is, is visit again the high priest house, Caiaphas's house. It's outside the wall of Jerusalem, the city wall, and it's an amazing place. It's a palace, and there's rooms, about four rooms, and it's a, there's a courtyard in the middle. That's where they were. They brought him to the high priest house, and Peter was following at a distance. And when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard, they sat down together. Peter sat down among them. Now remember, Jesus had predicted that before the rooster crowed, Peter was going to deny him three times, right? Remember that. We're not there yet, but remember that. So here we are. Notice the phrase, Peter was following. Oh, he was following, but at a distance. Question, how many at church today are following Jesus at a distance? There was a time in your life when you were closer to Jesus than you are right now. When you were more faithful. When you were more connected. But you know, things have happened. Some disappointments, some heartaches, some issues, some problems. I'm still a Christian. You still call yourself a Christian, but you're following at a distance. This is the first common rationalization. If you want to see a person on the road to personal sin, start here. They always say this. I need some space. Back off a bit. I need some space. Maybe I'll come back later. I've got to figure some things out. I just, I need some time. I've just, I've seen this over and over again. If I've seen it once, no exaggeration. I've heard this a hundred plus times in my office. Pastor, just, just, just back off for a while. I just need some space. I mean, maybe I'll come back at some point. Maybe I'll get back in small group at some point. Question, why do they need some space? To get closer to Jesus? Church family, isolation is the enemy. You get in isolation to get some space to do the things you shouldn't be doing. Choosing to follow Christ at a distance is choosing to inevitably fail. If you're not closer to Christ than you were a year ago, and I'm going to pause right here before I finish that statement, and I'm going to make sure you know that I can say this because I've not always been as close to Christ as I was a year ago. And being able to say that leads me to this conclusion. If you are not closer to Christ than you were a year ago, you are setting sail for disaster. Following at a distance. Rationalizations persist to silence regret. Number two, rationalizations lead to compromise. Notice, if you would, again in the text, verse Number 55, and when they had kindled a fire, we're reading this again, we're going to focus on this verse for a moment. When they had kindled a fire 
in the middle of the courtyard. They sat down together, and Peter sat down among them. Notice, if you would, in that verse, the cozy clan of compromise. And when they... Hey, Peter, who's they? Who are you with, Peter? I don't recognize anybody. Oh, they just some guys I met at the bar last night, you know. I'm, so you don't really know them? I'm getting get to know them, you know, just having a beer here, just hanging out, you know. I mean, what's the big deal? Well, I, I just want, we miss you. We miss you at church. We, we miss you in the small group, Peter. We, we really miss, well, you know, come on, man. I'm, I'm good, you know, I'm, I'm okay. I just, you know, back off a bit. I mean, give me some space. What's a guy got to do to get alone around here? We just, we, well, Peter, we, we love you. Who are these guys? Well, you know, I mean, they're guys. I don't really know who they are yet. I'll figure it all out, you know. When surrounded by wrongdoers, doing wrong becomes easy. Doing wrong becomes easy. No person in this church ever needs to be alone, ever. That's a great statement. I can say that, like, with confidence. There is stuff going on at this church all the time, every day. In fact, on staff meetings on Monday, we come to, okay, who's going to do the announcements this week? And we're fighting over who gets airtime in church. We're like, oh, I've got this going on. I've got this going on. I've got this going on. I'd like to say, what about this? I'd like to say, what about that? There is so many cool things happening here. Discipleship program. We've got addiction programs. We've got small groups. We've got love day. We've got activities. I mean, there's so many ways to volunteer here to be a part of ministry to stay involved someone that really needed community could find that several times a week but peter back off i I, i'm just i've met some some people in the hood i'm just gonna hang out for a while peter who are they i really don't know that's why paul said to the corinthians Let him take heed, lest he fall. The people who are closest to the Lord are cautious about failure. Church, there's nothing wrong with being cautious about failure. Not too confident in the flesh. You see, the stronger you are, the more aware you are of your weakness. Get this. Make a note of this. Instead of hiding your weakness, admit your weakness. Instead of hiding your weakness, go ahead. By the way, have not I made this church a platform for admitting my weaknesses? I mean, sometimes I, 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 I tend to be so transparent in an effort to make sure you know that when I admit my weakness, I discover incredible strength. This is what Scripture teaches when Paul said, I am weak, then I am strong. The Bible says to flee youthful lust, not look how strong I am. I can handle it. I, I can be alone with her. I can, I can look at that on the screen. It's not a big deal. I, 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 I can handle it. The mature believer is not the person on the edge showing how strong they are. So rationalizations. Peter's following at a distance. Peter is hanging out with the wrong crowd. And then notice in Luke chapter 22, verse number 56. This is the first denial. So a servant girl sees him sitting in the light. I love 
I love the Bible. I love it when you just kind of really read it and concentrate and put yourself in the story. Can you see this? Here, the servant girl, she sees Peter sitting in the light, and it's dark, but maybe there's some kind of shadow or light. Or maybe the fire is, there's a silhouette. How many of you have ever been like somewhere and you know someone's staring at you? It's the weirdest thing in the world, right? I mean, you're like, what are they? And you kind of turn, you're like, well, it's, it's kind of creepy, you know. What's going on here? You feel kind of strange. So Peter's feeling kind of awkward here, and, and the servant girl sees him sitting in the light. She, she's looking closely at him. And then she says, almost as if not directly to him. I mean, it doesn't sound like she's saying it right to Peter. Just like she's saying it, maybe to her friends, but Peter overhears it, maybe. But, but she says, this man also was with him. And for the first time in verse 57, but he denied it, saying, woman... I don't know him. I don't know. Maybe Peter was thinking, okay, I, oh, man, I just denied him. But Peter, Jesus said I would deny him three times. So really, so far so good. I mean, I denied him once. What's the big deal? Maybe this is just a, a one-time thing. Just just one time. I mean, just a one-night fling or a one-time. It's no big deal. I'm, I'm not going to ruin my life. Maybe that's what he thought. I told you last week how much I love poetry. and So I'm going to read you another poem from Emily Dickinson. And you can just put the title of the poem on the screen. The title of the poem she wrote is Crumbling is Not an Instance Act. Emily Dickinson is an American icon when it comes to poetry. She wrote 1,800 poems in total. She was an isolationist. She lived a very reclusive life. She died at the age of 56. She was born in 1830. And she wrote a poem that is mind-boggling deep. You know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of, how many of you really sang that second song, Behold? And, and would you say that was a deep song? That's a deep song. I'm singing that, and I'm like, I'm glad they sing it kind of slow, because I'm hanging on to every word. I'm thinking, man, you really need to listen to that again and again and again. The message is so deep and powerful. This is mind-boggling deep. Therefore, we're going to read it very slow. It's a poem of how people fail and fall. She said, the first line of it is the title, Crumbling is not an instance act. What she is saying here is that a, a person, when a person crashes and falls, everybody said, what happened? I can't believe it. Everybody is so shocked. But what they don't know is that what's been happening has been going on for a very long time. The alarm has been going off, but nobody's been answering it. Because crumbling is not an instance act. A fundamental pause. Dilapidations processes are organized decays. This past week, a building in Miami crumbled crazy. I mean, it's been shocking. It's been on the front of the news stories and the news feed, and now what's coming out is a lot of discussion about decay. The building dilapidated, but now they're talking about the fact that over time and years, there's this process of decay that took place, and they're talking about closing multiple buildings now. They're even referring to people who warned about this building is not safe. There were warnings that were given but not answered. No evacuation until it was too late. 
Oh, dilapidations, processes, or organized decays. Brilliant. Tis first a cobweb on the soul. It's just a cobweb. It's, it's, it's not a big deal. A cuticle of dust. A borer in the axis. I had Bridget in the first service, and John and Bridget on this pest company, advanced pest, and, and oftentimes they advertise to, to termite inspections and termite control, and they'll treat your house for termites. And a, a termite is a really little bitty, itty, could hardly see bug insect that tears away at, at, at the structure until it collapses untreated and it could cause destruction. A borer in the axis, an elemental rust. Ruin is formal. Devil's work. Consecutive. Slow. Fail in an instant. No man did. Slipping is crash's law. Think about that. Do you get it? The law of crashing is that there was slipping. People don't just crash. They slip and then they crash. When you see a crash, know that there was slipping before there was a crash. And that's what this message is all about. That that far more than we realize, we make little choices, but we don't pay attention to where those little choices are going, to where they're leading. People don't just crash. They slip and they crash. Make a note of this, that all moves to the left, all moves to the liberal, to the cave-in, come incrementally, They come slowly over a long period of time. But all moves to the right. They come instantly. They come in one fell swoop. That's what's so exciting about the grace of God. That's what's so exciting about preaching every Sunday morning is that a marriage can be saved this morning. Immediately a marriage can be can be saved by the grace of God. I love watching every Tuesday morning when I get to speak and give the devotion at the Gethsemane house. I look at guys who for a long time slowly led themselves down a road that they, where they crashed, but they, they experienced the grace of God. And when the preacher walks in on Tuesday mornings, I mean, you, you wouldn't believe the joy, the intensity, the, the sitting on the edge of their seats. It's exciting. It's how we ought to be every Sunday morning. The grace of God has opened our eyes. And we've been changed in an instant, all at once, one big move. We bring it out into the public and God begins to change us. Let your life be changed this morning by the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ and the love of this church family. This morning we saw some of that at the early service. It was so powerful. Notice verse 58. Second denial. Second denial. A little later, someone else saw him and said, You also are one of them. But Peter said, Man, I'm not. Come on, man. I'm not. What an interesting way to phrase it. Just an outright denial. You can almost hear the pleading in his voice. 
As if to say, you know, mind your own business. Get out of my face. I mean, come on. You have no idea what I've been through. It's been tough being a disciple. I mean, it's hard. I mean, come on. Get, just get out of my face. I, I just... Seems as if he wants sympathy. Make a note of this. When you're pleading for sympathy instead of praying for victory, it's almost over. It's almost over. When you want people to try and understand why you are in a place that you have no place being, it's like saying, I don't want to change. I just want you to feel sorry for me. I tell this little story. It's, it's another, you know, home capacity story, so it's easy to tell these stories. But my son Mo is on a, uh, a senior trip with his wife Susanna. They're in, they didn't get to take the seniors last year because of COVID, so they went this year. So they're suffering for Jesus in some place called Rio something in Brazil. Bless their hearts. And we're suffering for Jesus here in the mission field of Hot Springs. Anyway, but... Sympathy in sin. My son had a, at 18 had, had, was going down a very destructive path, making some bad decisions. And, 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 and my wife and I, we saw it. We, we saw it. We saw it coming. We saw it every day. And so every day we, we were praying for Mo, but we were also not sympathizing with him at all. I mean, he, he came up with every sympathizing teenage statement you can come up with. It's tough to be a teenager, Dad. You don't know. You have no idea, you know. I, I, well, yeah, it may be a little tough, son. I'm not sure I, I, uh, if it's tougher, but if it is, I understand. That's why we, we want to keep you in, in, down the right path. So this is the rules. This is what we expect, and, and we love you. But, this, oh, Dad, come on, man. Lighten up, man. I love her. Well, we love her, too. But, son, this is... This is how it's going to be. This is, we love you. We want to protect you. This is our, our calling. And, but dad, uh, you know, and on and on that sympathy would go. And he would want so bad for us to weaken and give in and give him some rope to hang himself. But instead of giving him rope, we just kept giving him hope. That God loves you, son. Your parents love you. And this is love, son. This is love. We're not going to let you go down that road over our dead body. You can move out before you live in this house and live like that, son, because we're not going to sympathize with your sin. We love you too much. And can I tell you, it wasn't but a short time after that that my son made it right with God and right with others, suffered a great, great setback in his life, was kicked out of Bible college here at Champion, one of the most embarrassing moments of his life, of our family's life. But you know what? It was one of the greatest moments of our lives because you make all things work together. For my future and for my good. He's now the student pastor. He's now the coach of a, a basketball team, married to a beautiful wife, two beautiful children. I want you to know God is in the building of restoring our lives when we don't rationalize and look for sympathy, but own it. And repent of it. And just get things right. Look at verse 59 and 60. After an interval of about an hour. So I'm thinking, okay, first denial, second denial, an hour. Now for an hour, I'm thinking Peter was like sitting there. He's like, oh man, this is, he, he's warming himself at the fire, but he's, he's, he's hot. An hour. You don't think in that hour there were, I'm thinking, honestly, I know I wasn't there. I'm just predicting 
I mean, and the text kind of leads us to believe there must have been a lot of people talking. I think that's him. I think, dude, that dude looks familiar. I mean, by the dozens, you've got people more than likely just commenting about Peter and, and, and saying, you know, I, I, I think that might be him. You can kind of see what's happening here. Everybody's talking. But, but Peter, let me read the rest of that verse. Another insisted saying, certainly this man also was with him for he too is a Galilean. We talked about that, I think, last week. His speech kind of betrayed him, and he had this, you know, he, he's, he had a, an accent like, like it to someone who would have lived in, in Galilee. And so Peter said, man, I don't know what you're talking about. The third person comes to him and says, you were with him. This is the truth, Peter. You were there. I, what? I don't know what you're talking about. No, Peter, this is a fact. This is a fact. You were with him. What? I don't know. You ever talk to somebody about facts and they just keep answering? I don't know. I don't know what you're talking about. She's in politics all the time. It's like the whole nation knows it's true and they're just up there denying it. You know? Number four, rationalization leads to the total refusal of accountability. Total refusal of accountability. Make a note of this. Building a barricade around your behavior to avoid accountability is authoring your own epitaph. You're writing what you once said on your tombstone when you refuse accountability. Can you imagine walking next to a tombstone and seeing these words, refused to forgive, or maybe trashed his family, or about never gave his life back to God? What are some barricades? Could I just submit to you maybe some barricades are this? Mind your own business. Why? I love you. Why do you want me to mind my own business? I I love you. Secret anything. Secret money, secret phone, secret time. Hey, honey, can I see your phone? Why do you want to see my phone, Caroline? What's up? My phone. Barricade. Anger when confronted. Hey, can I talk to you for a little bit? About what? You always want to talk. Talk, 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 talk. Leave me alone. I talk too much today. I just want to talk. I mean, it's got something on my heart. I, you know, I don't want to talk. Barricade. Hyper privacy. Barricade. God forbid the men in this room who use their strength to cause their wife to be afraid and pull back to the accountability that would save their life. Can I tell you something, guys? I've lived 32 years of my life with a woman who has confronted me hundreds of times with, I'm not comfortable with that. I don't really appreciate that. I'm not, I don't think that's a, a good thing. Honey, I would rather you not. And my only answer should be in humility, honey, thank you. I appreciate that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to honor that. I, I love you. You're my wife. I know. I haven't always done it that perfectly. But I can say this. I've always come to that conclusion. Even if we've had a, a little spatter, if I've been a little prideful and, you know, what's the matter? You, you don't think? 
No, I, I think you are a good husband. That's why I'm talking to you right now. Well, I just don't get it. Well, you, well, I'm sorry you don't get it, but I'm your wife, and I love you, and I pray for you. And this is So there's been a few of those. But at the end of the day, there's got to be that reflecting, responsibility, repenting, and making restitution. Now for the good news, I promised. Are you ready? You're like, man, that took a long time. I know, but aren't you glad it's here? This is so cool. Because Peter ended up making the right decision. Peter eventually got it. I'm so thankful he finally caught himself. It took three denials, but he caught himself and he made a better decision. Jesus times everything perfectly. He works all things together for your future and for your good and for his glory and for his name. He is working right now in this building. Right now. His eyes are about to catch yours. And that's what happened to Peter. Peter says, man, man, I don't know what you're talking about. And immediately, perfect timing. I mean, immediately. Third denial, immediately. Jesus is kind of coming through the... Wow, what timing. This is amazing. Here comes Jesus walking through. While he was still speaking, while he was still saying, man, I don't know where... blood streaming down his face scars spit coming down his face Jesus looks at Peter Peter loved Jesus Jesus loved Peter the Bible says the Lord turns and looks at him and Peter remembers how he had said to him before the rooster crows today you're going to deny me three times and Peter made a better decision he repented he went out and wept bitterly Because a true recognition of my wrong and a genuine grief over my failure is what is needed. So write this down, number five. Rationalizations are destroyed through personal responsibility. Destroyed. Can I tell you this, church? Next Sunday, we're going to talk about personal responsibility. I can't wait. There's so many good things that can come from just taking personal responsibility in your life. What I'm doing is wrong. What I said was wrong. There's no excuse for it. So I want to do this in closing. I want to remind you how important it is to start with reflection. There's a sequence here. Instead of rationalizing my regret, I'm going to reflect. That's why we do the Lord's Supper. You do know that, right? The Lord's Supper is a beautiful occasion at the church. And the reason we do it is to reflect, to look back at what Jesus did for us because sometimes we get pretty selfish, don't we? And we need a regular remembrance and reflection to what Jesus did. That's why he said in the instructions on how to do the Lord's Supper, examine yourself. He even went as far as to say that some people who don't examine themselves are going to get sick and die. I do I don't know that people in churches aren't dying today because they just keep neglecting them and and rationalizing. They keep going to the Lord's Supper, but they keep doing the same old stuff. They they never change. They don't stop and reflect, examine themselves. That's healthy. That's a good thing. To help you with that, I want to put... Just four quick questions on the screen and ask you to practice it right now in these next five minutes as we close the message. 
Question number one is this. What has happened last week that you need to get right? Last week, last seven days. One thing. I've got, I've got a couple. I mean, honestly, I do. I, it's funny. I, I can look back on every week of my life. I can't remember every single thing, but I can look back on this week when I had to go to someone and say, hey, I'm sorry. For what? Well, I said this, and oh, yeah, well, yeah, I guess you're right. That did kind of hurt me. I'm sorry. I didn't mean You know how many times my, is, is Carrie Co- Backle in here? Carrie, are you sitting in the building anywhere? Carrie, 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 my secretary. Carrie. I might as well say it because she's here. She's been my secretary for how many years, Carrie? She's so soft-spoken. Seven or eight? Seven? Eight? Seven, okay. I'm sorry, Carrie. I'm not kidding. How many times I've had to say to Carrie through seven years, you know, Carrie, I'm sorry. I've just, I've, I was short-fused. I... Because sometimes you get frustrated and you, and you take it out on your secretary. You know, just, it's busy and maybe she let somebody in thinking I had time and I didn't and she did what she thought was best and here I am, you know, it's, Carrie, would you, and, and then the whole, I sit down and I'm like, you dummy. Who do you think you are? That precious, she's, all she's trying to do is make your life easier. And, he, and I go, I'm sorry, would you, and she's like, oh, preacher, I, you're forgiven. So we get, she's still my secretary, somehow. <laughs> You say, well, I wouldn't do it. Well, deal with, (laughs) quit rationalizing, forgive. (laughs) You say, pastor, you're making this so real. Exactly, because it's real. It happened last week to you. You say, yeah, but it's not a big deal. Crumbling is not an instance act. Your marriage, your relationships are going to crumble if you let this go a week, two weeks, three weeks, four weeks, over and over and over and over and over again. Well, that's just me. Well, that's just how I was raised. Well, I know I told her I loved her when I got married. If it ever changes, I'll let her know. Try telling her at least once a week, maybe once every three or four days. She needs it. Number two, where have you been keeping in your heart an unkindness to someone else? Last week I was in a room with someone. They're not in here. It was an off-campus type of a situation. And somebody walked into the room, and as soon as they did, they said to me, I'm out of here. I, I don't want to be with them. I don't be in the same room with them. I found out later it was like this argument they had. It was silly. And I just prayed for them. I said, not in front of them, just in my heart and mind. I said, Lord, help them to deal with that because that is going to end up becoming a cancer. They can't even be kind to someone. You walk into the, I wonder how many of us maybe in church today, there's someone here that we just have been unkind to. We're harboring that. We're not dealing with it. We're not getting it right. Next. Who brought bitterness with them to church this week? It's it's still there. It's still in your heart. There's still an issue. There's, There's some anger. There's borderline hate. I just... constant battle 
Oh no, pastor's going to admit that too? Yep. Why not? I mean, it's true. We battle with that. Sometimes we battle with that just for a moment. And we're going to talk about this next week. If, if you don't want to miss next or the next week, I think it's the, actually two weeks from now. We're going to deal with that. It's a big one. It's a big one. But you know what? I found myself when there is a or something that invades my thought process in an area of lust, if I immediately will confess that before God is sin and ask forgiveness and make restitution, and even at times confess to my wife that I need you to pray for me, you say, really? Yes. There are times when I've even had to say, you say, Pastor, that, that's pretty, that's thought-provoking. Yes. This is how you can have 32 years of marriage when you're constantly battling in this arena giving up but if you're battling and failing in this arena I ask you today stop get it right turn take responsibility own it repent of it and make restitution today and every day it's a battle it's real church I'm praying for this series to be life changing I just feel there's so many of us that need this I need it just need a way to deal with our regret. Something that God prescribes that makes sense, that, that we can see and touch and read and, and understand. And I think Peter's life is a, was a good place to start. Next week we're going to look at David's life. Because David dealt with a lot of regret. Oh, so much. I'm excited to share with you next week. So I love you, church. I'm just asking God to work. Take that prescription deal with it on your knees and let's let God do a real miraculous work in our families today. Father, I love you. I thank you, God, for this church and for these people. Father, may we take what we've been given today and may we open our hearts and minds and lives to the truth and to the conviction and to the Spirit's leading. Oh, Father, we know that all things do work together for good because, Jesus, there is nothing that we have experienced or done in our lives that you can't take and make something beautiful out of if we will reflect, if we will determine to take responsibility. God, if we'll repent and then God making restitution is such a wonderful, glorious thing. Father, we need you today to help us. We can't do this without you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Shall we stand?